Oh, Scott Helmer's first in. How did that happen, mate? You just reminded me I was going to call you. Um, talk later. <laughs> Let's talk later. I'm rushing around. As I said in the... Where did I do the thing? Here you go. I've got to tweet the other thing. As I said in the tweet, it is uh, heading for the hottest day here, uh, which you love, Scott. I know you do. Like a warm, uh, warm day. <laughs> warm beer. Warm day. It's uh, going for... 34 apparently 34 celsius 34 celsius here near near the coast near the water we're going to go inland going to go to the wake park which scott has also seen with much amusement for all <laughs> uh and then it's, it gets really hot inland so i don't know 36 37 something like that which would be nice so the, the aircon is cranking it's one of those very, very summery days. Uh, yes, half the world is in summer, whilst the other half is cold. I still seem to need to explain that to many people. Anyway, I realised just as I was putting together the the list of things to talk about, the thing that I hadn't put on there, which I know Scott always enjoys as well, is the two separate SSL discussions we've had this week. So I'm going to do a sponsor thing first, and then I want to get straight into the SSL stuff, because I can't believe that we are here in 2023, still having these discussions. And they are amusing. More seriously first, sponsored by CrowdSec. Again, CrowdSec's been there a lot this year already. Gain crowdsource protection against malicious IPs and benefit from the most accurate CTI in the world. Get started for free. So CrowdSec has been very good at sourcing information intelligence from the crowd. Uh, I did manage to spend a little bit of time face-to-face with them in Copenhagen. When, uh, when I was there, when was that? December. <laughs> and I've got a CrowdSec hoodie somewhere, which I'm definitely not wearing today because even in my office where I just turned the aircon on, it's already 28.9 degrees Celsius. So CrowdSec does great crowdsource CTI, nice hoodies not to be worn in the climate today. Please go and check out CrowdSec and thank them for their support of me. All right. <laughs> Who else is here? Joel's here, came in second, Cam. Hey guys, Wayne, uh, Stuart. Scott says nobody does a backflip at the Wake Park like I do. I think that's a reasonable, a reasonable thing to say. Uh, actually, I've got to get a new board. I have two boards. I have a uh, a wakeboard park, which is a bit more flexible and a bit shorter and a bit wider. Has no fins, so you can go and play on the jumps and things. And I have a board I use behind the boat, which is stiffer and more fins and meant for carving harder and jumping higher. Uh, and I discovered a few weeks ago that the one for behind the boat has a big crack through the middle of it, which is end of life for that board, which it kind of felt like it was getting end of life for anyway. Anyway, I get a new board for the boat today from the Wake Park, because where the shop is. So wakeboard today at the park. Uh, and if I can talk the family into going out on the boat tomorrow, then I get a wakeboard on the boat with my very, very shiny new board. I'll share some photos. Christopher, hi Troy. First time catching one of these live streams. Have I been was a freaking revelation when I found it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Christopher. A lot of what I learned is a revelation for me as well. I'm going to tell you some of those things today because there's something that is really, really starting to bug the hell out of me. And I do want to talk about it. First of all, speaking of having bugged the hell out of things, SSL, right. So remember when we used to have the debate about the padlock and what the padlock meant and the padlock was green and then it wasn't green and it said secure and then it wasn't secure and then we'd argue about whether let's encrypt certs were any good and whether or not extent of validation was worth it and i i honestly don't think in the last two years i've had a good robust argument with anyone about it because we've all grown up <laughs> you know and we've all realized that scott and i were right 
as well as the rest of the industry is right. And we've moved on and we just don't really talk about it anymore until this week. Until two things this week. In fact, two things in just the last two days. Now, one of them from Scott's corner of the world and one of them from my corner of the world. So <laughs> let's just let's just pick these apart. Now, I think in both cases there has been various levels of backtracking, which is good. <clears throat> uh, probably shouldn't have happened in the first place. I'm going to do the one in my part of the world first. So we have down in Australia uh, an ISP called Aussie Broadband. Now, Aussie Broadband, for the most part, sits on top of the NBN, the National Broadband Network. So the, the government-funded broadband scheme provides all of the cables into the houses, and then you have ISPs that sell the services that run over those cables. Now, if I look for, what is it? I think it's Aussie underscore BB, and find my recent discussions here, uh, Meg. We're going to name her because she names herself in, in the tweet. Uh, and before anyone gets upset that maybe I'm publicly shaming Meg, first of all, I've got no idea who Meg is. I don't think anyone knows who Meg is. Second of all, I've written before about the whole public shaming thing and the fact that if you're going to be a customer service person or you're an organisation with a publicly facing customer service thing, which is what Aussie Broadband here has, then that's the channel we're going to judge you by. Like if you're out there making statements on behalf of the company, we get to make comments about your statements on behalf of the company. And I will say before I started, Aussie Broadband has uh, reversed their view on this, but let's just go back to the start of this because it is relevant to the whole SSL discussion. Now, this all began two days ago. David tweets here. He says, so putting my personal details on a phishing website is 100% A-OK because HTTPS. And then he tags me and Aussie. Now, he, he's got an image in here, and this is from an Aussie broadband, I believe, in an email that they sent out. It says, pro tip, our website is hosted using HTTPS, a more secure format. If you happen to click on a link in an email, even if it looks like our website, look for the little padlock icon on your browser's address bar to know if it's a secure site before entering your details. No padlock, no details. <laughs> and the first thing I thought of is that this goes back to Barclays Bank, I think this was 2016, getting pinged by the Advertising Standards Association in the UK for saying exactly the same thing, except they used a cool robot in a TV ad. And in fact, I've used this clip in multiple talks before where the robot's like, uh, basically it's, it's, it's like a, a, a fun, cheeky kind of thing, but it's saying, look, look for the padlock in the address bar, because if you don't see the padlock, it could be a fake site. And we're like, well, what if it's a fake site and it has a padlock? Uh, what if it's a real site and it doesn't have a padlock? So anyway, Aussie <laughs> replies to David. Hi, David. I'm rather alarmed. Meg was alarmed. I'm rather alarmed you suspect we are putting your user data at risk. Can you please DM us with more detail of your concern so we can investigate and assist with this concern? Now, David, quite rightly, says nothing to DM about. The advice from Aussie Broadband is completely wrong. HTTPS doesn't mean a website is legitimate or secure. Links through to Scott's piece on SSL does not make a site secure. Now, Aussie, in a fairly quasi-backflippy, double-backflip menu, just back at the same position, way, <laughs> says, absolutely, we agree. It's not a be-all to confirm it's safe, but the lack of it can be a warning flag 
was more the message. Apologies if that was not clear. This was more a PSA to help build skills, to help spot signs that might not be 100% legit. And this is like, you know, on, on the one hand, some merit to saying it could be a warning sign, but then on the other hand, saying to help spot signs that might not be 100% legit, it kind of reverses the position. That's a double backflip. And then I jump in and I'm like, look, this guidance is way off key. Zero association between the presence of padlock and trustworthiness of the site. Otherwise, you wouldn't even trust the weather because our Bureau of Meteorology is Australia's number one website that doesn't force HTTPS on connections. So congrats to uh, the bomb for still being there, just literally not supporting HTTPS, which is crazy. And then, um, then Meg doubles down. And I'm going to try and say this without sounding like a dick. There is a bit of me when we start to have a discussion like this, which wants to say, not don't you know who I am, but maybe just go and do some research and then come back and decide whether or not I'm the person you want to have this argument with. But you know what I mean? It's like this is something that, that both Scott and I spent so much time talking about, writing about, engaging the community with for, I would say, particularly the last seven years. We had our anniversary the other day. Scott and my <laughs> first meeting popped up on Facebook. So to then have a customer service rep get all the facts wrong and try to educate us about how we were wrong is... I was polite. <laughs> so uh, I said, look, I'm a very happy Aussie broadband customer. This guidance is way off key. Uh, no, we did that. No, she came back and then said, I appreciate your engagement on the topic, smiley face. She's still happy. Any details where personal data and login information is exchanged is where it becomes a risk. News sites, whether, whether ECT, where none of this is requested, are less risky with no HTTPS. And I just went, look, you're way off key. Appreciate your engagement. I suggest taking this offline, conferring internally, revising your position. Call me if you'd like. You have my details. Uh, and then I did quote tweet the whole thread and say, look, if I have any Aussie broadband customers, can you please let me know? They have fixed it. <laughs> so I was like, it's just one of those things that now is a really good time just to step away from the keyboard, have a discussion tomorrow, and then figure out uh, perhaps what you should say about the whole thing. Um, now they they have fixed this. Where's the Where's the latest here? because I quote tweeted in the other day. Uh, so Aussie then come out and they did DM me as well. And, and they effectively said the same thing in DM. They're very nice. They said, uh, hey, Troy, yesterday in your email to customers, we meant to point out an easy identifier for a site pretending to be Aussie actually being fake, which is, it's still wrong. It's still wrong. It's wrong because it implies that you can look for the padlock next to the Aussie broadband name in the address bar and know that the site's legit. Now, here's a good test. And I don't know the answer to this myself yet, and this is gonna highlight my point. If you go to aussie-broadband.com.au and you see a padlock, can you trust the site? If you go to aussiebroadband.au, can you trust the site if there's a padlock? And I'm making these points because I genuinely don't know what the URL for Aussie Broadband is. Let's find out. If I hover over, uh -huh, it says, okay, now I've got to drill into their profile. AussieBroadband.com.au, no dashes. Oh, I wonder. I mean, they've kind of acknowledged their problem anyway. Um, <laughs> let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens. 
<laughs> it would appear that nobody owns Aussie-broadband.com.au. Now, you may need to have an Australian registered business to get that. Um, however, oh no, someone does have Aussie-broadband.com. Do they have Aussie? <laughs> Why am I doing this? I can't help it. Nobody has Aussie-broad-band.com. If somebody was to have that and put a padlock next to it, it would solve the problem because we'd all know that it would be okay. Because the point is that people are terrible at reading URLs. All of us are terrible at reading URLs because not only can we not tell homoglyphic characters from one another, but we also don't know what the correct domain is meant to be. Remember, Scott, we saw that that uh, talk from, I think it was Emily Schechter at uh, Locomocosec in Hawaii in 2018, and this was her talk, and it was it was brilliant because she's like, what's the correct domain for the Google blog? And everyone's just like, uh-huh. So if you go to that domain and you see a padlock and it looks like the Google blog, can you trust it? Well, no, because TLS doesn't mean trust. Let's look at the comments. Crooked says you wouldn't download a padlock. <laughs> I feel like that's a, that's the, the, a little piracy analogy there. Cameron says it's kind of like having an embedded JPEG that says 100% secure. Brendan, oh, well, this jump in was badly timed. Chris for New York here spent the better part of the year in Parramatta in 2005, technology startup, never could get round the lower resolution of Celsius versus Fahrenheit for ambient temp. We still don't understand Celsius versus Fahrenheit either. We keep getting stuff that ends up in Fahrenheit, such as the new barbecue I just bought. Come back to that. Uh, actually, the barbecue is fine. It's just every YouTube video you go and watch, they're working in the old measurement. Brennan says, actually, the bomb actively enforces HTTP over HTTPS. It does. It redirects HTTPS to HTTP, which is nuts. Scott Helms, just laughy faces, could be in response to just about anything we just spoke about. Uh, and I just noticed down the bottom, uh, Scott has linked to Emily's talk. Brilliant talk. Go and have a look at it. She did a great job of that. Ben says, EV means almost nothing. You're almost right. I think it means nothing. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> And Stephen says, this reminds me of Scott Hanselman's quote, HTTPS and TLS doesn't mean trust, it means this is private. You may be having a private conversation with Satan, which is exactly right. Um, and even then we could argue about the definition of privacy in that case. Now, uh, that was TLS SSL thing number one. Now, number two, getting back to the other corner of the world, was uh, Namesco. Now, Namesco, as best I understand it, Let's read their description here. Domain names, web hosting, website building, email plans, Office 365 servers, website design services, and much more. Now, they, I've seen one tweet from them on this, and it feels like they might be reassessing it, but I, I, don't, I don't know that's going to be enough. So they've sent this, uh, this message here, this email, to Neil, which Neil has then gracefully shared with us for our amusement purposes. Hi. We've identified that you are using a free SSL, only one, a free <laughs> SSL. Free SSLs are a basic level of authentication and are not recommended for businesses. Now, look, that alone, this is not a typo. This is not a grammar mistake. This is not a misinterpretation. This, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, this is all it is. It is just outright intentional bullshit. Now, we're only just getting started. Switching to a domain verified what do, you, what do you think the free one was? How did they verify it? What did he get? Now I'm really curious. 
a domain verified, organization verified, or extended validation SSL will give you higher protection. They don't actually explain how. Prove your business's legitimacy. You know, like we lost the little EV thing. How many years ago, Scott? It must have been five years ago, long before COVID. And gain customer trust. Also bullshit because of the aforementioned losing of the thing. There are also SEO advantages to having a more trusted SSL. And again, like this, this is not, this is not a typo. This is not, yeah. Meg accidentally sent something off to a random customer in a moment of customer service or something like this. Is just outright crap. Uh, and it goes on and on and on. Now, I have not seen such tweets for some years now. Like this was this was just nuts. Uh, so I shared this and asked people to respond with with gifts of their choice, which led to much amusement. Uh, now, Namecheap was mentioned many, many, many times over. They would have seen that. I noticed 11 hours ago, as of the time recording, they say, thanks. Uh, so apparently Neil had the staff member's name in the message. Now, I don't mind naming Meg because they're tweets. They're public tweets. Uh, Neil had the staff member's name in the email he screen capped. Yeah, okay, whatever. So yeah, they say, thanks for removing staff member's name. Really appreciate it, Neil. We'll reply to your DM. Now, I want to know what they say. So, Neil, if you're watching, and I did say this on the tweet as well, please let me know because I really, really want to know what these guys come back and say because this was so outrageously stupid on so many levels. I would like to see how they talk themselves out of this. Yeah, Scott says, definitely four to five years ago and we lost EV in the mainstream browsers. Um I remember, I think it was when we were at NDC Sydney, and remember PayPal, I can't remember exactly why, but PayPal started no longer showing EV in Firefox, but it was in Chrome or the other way around or something like that whilst we are at the conference. And we're like, this is freaking hilarious because the very fact that the EV organization's name can just suddenly disappear from the browser and no one seems to really care really tells you a lot about how effective it actually was in the first place. Now, curious, if we go to Names Co, let's do this real time. It's almost like an unboxing because you get like the the organic reaction <laughs> from me. Where are they? Oh, they've got a security section, SSL certificate section. If you want to follow along at home, names.co.uk. Peace of mind for you and your customers. They have a four green stars out of five based on 3,592 reviews. Boost your Google ranking, and there, there was a, a little uptick in the SEO of having TLS uh, for quite some time. They're not sure how rele rele relevant it is now, given that basically everyone has it. Oh, this is interesting. Uh, all right, you know, I'm going to just drop the link here into the comments on YouTube, and you can, you can literally go and have a look at this. So... We've got Starter SSL DV for £7.42p, Professional SSL OV for £12.33, Premium SSL EV for £24.58, and Wildcard SSL OV for £48.58. Secured by Sectigo, so you know it's going to be accurate information on the page. I almost said that with a straight face. What's really funny about this is, is you go down and it says uh, there's a trust and security row. And it rates. So imagine we've got four columns, starter, professional, premium, wildcard. And each one has a different number of padlocks. Starter, SSL, DV, you got one padlock. But what's better than one padlock? Two padlocks. 
So if you get professional SSL over, you get two padlocks. What's better than two padlocks? Three padlocks. If you get premium SSL EV, you get three padlocks. And what's kind of funny is that as you scroll down, it's like encryption level. Starter, up to 256-bit. Professional, up to 256-bit. Premium, up to 256-bit. And you never guess what wildcard is. <laughs> you get a secure seal on every one. You do not get full functional authentication, full organizational authentication on starter, yes, because it's not OV or EV, but it also doesn't mean anything. Registered businesses only, yeah, well, that also doesn't really mean anything. Uh, <laughs> it's just such crap. Our recommendation, I've got a section here about recommendation. Uh, uh, anyone. Let's just find the really good bits. Um, professional OV. If you have a well-known or trusted... It's, none of this makes any sense. Why are you still here? Why am I wasting time on this? And then SSL certificates explained. I think, like, what they're explaining here is kind of accurate, but it doesn't... I was... i got to be honest. There's a little bit of me that was hoping to see the crazy from the email on the website here as well, but not as much crazy. Um, you get a warranty. That's crazy. Come on. Throw us a bone. There must be something. Which certificate do I need? If you simply want to provide a secure connection, we recommend a starter SSL DV certificate as you will be up and running under 20. Also, why are you paying £7.42p per month for SSL slash TLS for something that is free? Uh, anyway, let's see how they reply. I'll share that. Sectego ni Komodo. Yep, it's got right there. Wayne says it'd be cool if you shared your browser, not your whole desktop. OBS has all the functionality. I know, but I have to be more organized than this. And then who knows what would appear. I'm in this phase at the moment where I don't think I've restarted this PC for about a month. And it feels like I haven't restarted it for about a month, but I have all my windows exactly where I want them. And I'm in the middle of about 10 different things. And I just don't know what's going to pop up where, if I'm completely honest. I could use a different machine, I guess, but anyway. <laughs> but, I mean, Scott's just highlighted this is per month. This is crazy. Let's put this back into real money in Australian dollars. Now, you're seven whatever per month, 742 per month. That times 12 uh, equals that. That's 18. This is like a couple of hundred bucks. Yeah, really? GBP in AUD, $153 Australian, which would put it at basically $100 US per year for the certificate, which they say is not very good compared to the other ones. <sighs> Screw these guys. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. I want to talk about other data breaches. Uh, I <laughs> okay, this is why I don't share my screen. <laughs> Just found the things that people were sending me to 3D print. I'll tell you about offline, Scott. Uh, data breaches. So several data breaches I wanted to talk about. Which screen am I looking at? It's part of the reason I don't share screens because I have 5,000-something pixels across, I think, because of the two wide screens and then the super wide one as well. Now, um, 
Sticking with the UK theme, uh, Planet Ice. So Planet Ice, uh, ice skating rink or ice skating rink management was breached. 240,000 unique email addresses breached this month, uh, this month being January, I published on the 31st Jan. That also included names, genders and dates of birth of adults and children. Now, because they have birthday parties, there were various tables, multiple tables in this dump that had the child's name, the child's birthday, uh, and details about the party. I don't disagree with having that data because if you want to have a child's birthday party registration system, that all seems like fairly relevant information. Probably a question around the data retention policies. I didn't look at how long they'd kept it for. But yeah, they kind of needed to have that data at some point in time. But it's just always extra icky when it's kid stuff. Genders as well. Genders of children. Uh, I don't think in real terms it's particularly impactful. I, I don't like the way that we tend to just immediately think that every time there's any data about children, then it's going to be pedophiles and you know, stalkers and whatever else going after them or the, the practicalities of that, one would imagine, are significant. So I think it's more that we feel that children should have more protection than adults. And to see them appear in a data breach, and a lot of the kids are the yeah, same age as my kids, 10, 11, 12 years old sort of thing. So that's a bit sucky. <laughs> Physical phone numbers, MD5 password hashes, good on them for that. 82% of the accounts were already in Have I Been Pwned. So uh, inevitably the email addresses in there would have been of the adults because they were the ones organising the parties, but 82% of Planet Ice people already in data breaches. And I'm going to come back and talk about them a little bit more in a moment. Uh, next one first, Pitt Meadows School District 42 in British Columbia. Only 19,000 records. <laughs> to, to be honest, it was one of those ones I looked at and went, it's so small, it's obviously just students because it's got sequential numbers at domain.com or domain.ca in this case is it even worth it uh but it had been disclosed it was public sometimes sometimes that is the path of least resistance just to pick a data breach where i don't have to do disclosure or anything like that because it's already out there and well and truly in discussion now the thing that was a bit interesting about this first of all it's only names and email addresses which is pretty benign i don't think people really necessarily feel great about their kids names and then the association obviously to the school being out there and leaked but i also don't think it's particularly impactful uh, likewise with the email addresses because you could literally just enumerate them anyway what was interesting on this one is that 0.1 percent were already in have i been pwned so remember planet ice 82 percent already in have i been pwned this one 0.1 percent inevitably because those student accounts all but bar a very, very small number. I didn't actually look at the exact number. It must have been like three or something like that, uh, only used for the school. They don't seem to be being uh, put in other services where they've then gone and gotten leaked and all over the web. Uh, mm. So that's, um, that's a very small one. Now, <laughs> let me look at what I was going to talk about today because this, this now starts to get us into the, the less fun bit of... The update today. I was going to talk about the bar. I'll come back. I'll talk about the barbecue last. We'll end on a high note. <laughs> I've said the scourge of breach cover-ups. Now, I am starting to get on my high horse a little bit about organisations not disclosing data breaches. And this is starting to really bug the hell out of me because I'm seeing it all the time. And, and not disclosing can mean multiple things. 
And I'll give you three different examples. Uh, last week, I talked about the Norwegian one, which I still can't pronounce. I'm not up to that in Duolingo yet. Complete uh, fitted <laughs> or something like that. So it's a Norwegian store. So they had a breach in 2021. They, it looks like they disclosed it to the local regulator and then just never told anybody. So they may have ticked the compliance box. And it's always a little bit funny in terms of where they sit in EU. They're like not full EU, but then they pay money to get some EU benefits. Um, anyway, so I'm not quite sure exactly what their regulatory obligations are beyond notifying their local regulator, but they did notify their local regulator, but then they didn't tell anyone. Now, this included email addresses, IP addresses, physical addresses, and passwords stored as bcrypt or plain text. <laughs> so in some cases, not particularly good protection on the passwords. Why did they not tell people? I'm going to keep asking that question, then I'll come back and I'll give you my answer. But it, it is what it is. So they knew about it. They disclosed it to a regulator. And then I would imagine if they did have a regulatory obligation to tell people that probably would have happened after telling the regulator, but they didn't do it. Planet Ice. Plan in fact, I'm gonna, I've got a draft blog post on this, and I've got some sample tweets I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you. Planet Ice notified some people, and then they didn't notify other people. I know this because I load this to have I been pwned. I send out all of the breach notifications, and then I get a bunch of people popping up going, hey, we didn't hear about this. Now, I'm going to look at this draft blog post I've got here, and I'll give you an example uh, of public tweets I've had on both these. So uh, the Norwegian one. Someone's replied to the Have I Been Pwned tweet here and says, and they haven't bothered to inform their customers. Had to hear it from you. Shame on you, complete fitted. And then Planet Ice. Thank you. In quotes. Air quotes. Okay. I think it's genuine. Thank you, Have I Been Pwned, for Planet Ice UK data breach info. Nice to be informed, as the company hasn't told me. Now, that particular one, Planet Ice did respond to that. Hi, Philip. Thank you for your tweet. Planet Ice have issued an updated email to all customers. Following last week's breach, uh, customers should receive this within the next 72 hours. Sometimes emails can take a while, apparently. So we've got two different examples there. The Norwegian one very consciously did not notify anyone. I think that's a pretty safe position to take. Planet Ice notified a subset, whether that was conscious or whether they just didn't understand the full extent of the breach is not entirely clear. There is another one I'm dealing with at the moment, and I'm not going to name this one, but there's another one where, based on the communication I'm having with them, it seems very clear that their intention is to not notify anyone, including the regulator. And I don't want to say too much about it at the moment because... Right now, I'm just I'm giving them rope, right? And we're just going to see how far this goes. But it is becoming evident that their desire is not to disclose at all. And that bugs the hell out of me because I'm saying to them, you've got a sizable number of people whose personal information has been taken from a system. Choosing words carefully here. They have provided you with their personal information and it has been taken from a system they do not know about it. Who's going to tell them? This is a discussion that's been going for days. Uh, this should have already resulted in notification both to a regulator and to the individuals. And I have a strong sense that they're going to do everything they can not to notify the customers. I'm kind of curious to see where this goes because 
sooner or later, they're going to get an ultimatum. It's like either you notify people or I'm looking at my little counter here. I've got 4.4 something million Have I Been Pwned subscribers. There will be a bunch of their subscribers in that set. I'm going to notify them. Now, if I notify them, not only are those individuals going to know about it, but there'll be a tweet about it. It will be somewhere on Have I Been Pwned. There will probably be journalists that pick up the story. There'll be individuals in there that then start sending you emails and saying, why didn't you let me know? So we can either do that or you can proactively notify them and then you get to set the narrative. There's a discussion I have a lot. I have a, a call with another company in about half an hour about a very large, very serious breach, which which will be notifiable and it will be in the news. Uh, and I think it will be today. I think it will be within the next few hours. Uh, and they... I'm quite confident we'll do the right thing and they will notify people. And the, the message that I'm going to give them uh, is that when you are on the front foot with this and you are driving disclosure uh, and when you're engaging with the likes of journalists, there's already journalists involved, you get to set the narrative. So you get to decide what is the message that we give the public, the journalists, our customers. If you do what so far this other organisation is doing, which is like we don't want to talk about this, then a combination of journalists and me will set the narrative. And I will be very transparent about what's happened. So what do you want to do? You know, find out soon, I guess. Christopher says, not sure if this is a germane to the conversation, but is the virus total's URL scan still a worthwhile tool? Assuming it shows a malicious result, as there is always a zero-day URL possibility. Yeah, I mean, virus total still gets used a lot. A lot of a lot of personal data ends up in virus total as well. I know because people reach out and they go, "Hey, look what I found on virus total," which is interesting. Uh, Roland says, "Don't be mean, Troy. They want to make it go away. So ignoring the problem is clearly the way to go." This is a good a good segue actually to something else I forgot to mention. I need to put this in my notes so I remember to talk about all these things. Um, ubiquity, my. Uh, favorite manufacturer of networking things. I tweeted about them uh, one hour ago. It's a story here in uh, Bleeping Computer. And the headline here is, former Ubiquity dev pleads guilty to trying to extort his employer. So that's, uh, that is a, a massive... It's a massive story. Now, we knew this already. We knew it was a former employee. We knew there was the... Um, there was an attempted ransom. There was the Krebs story, which then he he got uh, fairly stern emails from Ubiquity about, which we weren't real happy about. And then we kind of understood a little bit more why later on when we learned it was an insider trying to shake the company down for money and then pretending to be a whistleblower when he spoke to Krebs. Anyway, uh, this guy, Nicholas Sharp, is, uh, he's going to well and truly go to jail. There's no information here on sentencing yet. I imagine that will happen later on. It's bad for him. Now, here's the reason why I got to this point, because I was just thinking about Roland's uh, comment just here about uh, wanting to make the problem go away. Ubiquity says, I'm going to read uh, the text here from the Bleeding Computer article. Adding insult to injury, when Sharp wasn't given his ransom demands, he retaliated by causing false news stories to be published about the company. Inevitably, this is referencing the Krebs story, which resulted in his company's market capitalization plummeting by over $4 billion. $4 billion. That's, that's a lot of billions, which is nuts. 
Now, the reason I raise that is, is obviously data breach stories have serious financial consequences. They can have serious financial consequences. Data breaches in general can have serious financial consequences. Uh, many times, particularly larger organisations who are responsible end up spending money on everything from incident response. Uh, and I have I have seen some discussion around what the likes of Mandiant will charge for incident response. Uh, and it's, it's what I would charge too if I was in a position to do that when they... They sort of own that part of the market and uh, and obviously provide a really valuable service at a time when organisations need it most. So yeah, good on Mandy. They're, they're making money out of the out of the situation, but that is a very expensive process. All the other lawyers, all the other PR, everything goes around is an expensive process. All the investigation that goes into figuring out what the hell happened, and that's before we even get into the reputational damage and the potential share price loss. So here it says. Uh, Ubiquity stock dropped by almost 20%, which led to financial losses of over $4 billion in market cap. Now, of course, this is just market cap. It's not necessarily real money that disappears. And I did notice that when I went through and had a look at Ubiquity's share price, it, it is kind of a little bit hard to spot that drop and attribute it specifically to the data breach. In fact, when I've followed through the link on here to the uh, the Google Finance page, right at the point where that drop is. Where is that drop, actually? It's very hard to see because it's meant to be like, when was it meant to be? Let's say January. Uh, Sharp as rest and charges uh, on December 21. Oh, it's January somewhere. Uh, the security incident was January 2021. Yeah, so it would have been the start of 2021. So what is their chart look like? Yeah, this might have been around that April time frame. I saw what they're talking about. Now, incidentally, and here's why I thought this was interesting. When you go to the Yahoo Finance, there's uh, on any significant events in stock price chains, they've got little markers. So March 31, 2021, ubiquity stock is believed to be significantly overvalued. 14.53% drop on that day alone. Now, was it believed to be overvalued because the security incident is going to really sting or... Was it believed to be overvalued for other reasons? Not entirely sure. Either way, the point is, is that data breaches have a really negative impact on the reputation of a company and whether or not that drop was solely attributable blah, 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 due to <laughs> the data breach or other factors as well is entirely clear, but we know that this is bad press and it's not good. So to Roland's point, this is what pisses me off about organisations not wanting to disclose because it is a very selfish act. Uh, now, when I say selfish, it's in the company's best interest. Yes, it's in the shareholders' best interest as well. There are lots of normal mums and dads and every average everyday people out there who are shareholders as well. It's not just banks and billionaires, right? But it's not in the interest of the customers, and that's that's what really bugs me. Chris says, we just bought a set of Unify Nano HDs in all our premises, Checkpoint Gateway Base. Unify Network up in a VM, love it. Uh, once it was configured, create level DHCP and file, file rules, awesome. And look, I love my Ubiquity gear as well. Uh, they, they do keep sending me stuff, which I really, really like as well. Full disclosure, they just send me stuff <laughs> because I wrote some nice stuff and I have an audience that listens to it. Uh, some of the stuff I can't share yet, I'm going to share that in the future, but uh, it has been really, really impressive. Like some of the new stuff is super, super cool. So yeah, look, I think they're a great company. They do really good stuff. And they are without doubt the most uh, receptive organization I do things with in terms of 
just sending stuff. So that'd been great. But Ubiquity, if you're listening, I would really like to have like a consumer mainstream unified protect solution because I've got two sets of friends, neighbors, both wanted me to put doorbells, connected doorbells in their place. And I can't in all good conscience put anything from Ubiquity in there because then I need a whole unified protect server. So this is what I was asking the other day about doorbells. And I think they're going to get rings at this rate. So it's even Ubiquity drone. Yeah, that'd be nice. Noel Morgan's here. You're late, Noel. But welcome. <laughs> Thanks for joining. Actually, you're in time for the barbecue. So this is the last bit I'm going to do so that we end on a happy note. And it's not all like data breaches and nasty stuff. Uh, I did get a connected barbecue, connected grill. Now, uh, my son Ari, and I know Noel, you commented on this the other day as well, is getting very into cooking. I think it is uh, exceptional to have a 13-year-old be keen on cooking, and we want to nourish that as much as possible. And he does seem to have developed a penchant for looking at YouTube videos of just like epic barbecue stuff. So we've got a Green Mountain Grill grill barbecue. It's a, it's a pellet grill that'll, that'll smoke the pellets. And it's just one of these things where in my mind, it's going to sit there like all day and just cook yeah, briskets or pulled pork or something like that. And, and you're going to walk outside and it's going to smell epic. And hopefully it's going to be as fantastic as people seem to have implied it is. It is connected because everything's got to be connected these days. But there is relevancy to why it's connected. Uh, being able to monitor the temperature of the barbecue, being able to monitor the temperature of the meat, both when you're nearby, it's got a little digital display on it, uh, and when you're remote. So their, their value proposition is like, you can go out and take your phone with you and it will tell you, you know, when the meat's at a certain temperature and you can go and do stuff. I think it can monitor uh, when you start to run out of pallets as well because the pallets sit in a hopper and they, they fall down into an auger, which is like a little worm screw, which then takes those pallets into a, a heated rod and that's the thing that heats them up and makes the temperature. So we're going to run that up for the first time later today. It's a quarter to eight here in the morning uh, of a Friday morning. There will be photos. <laughs> I'll share that on the Twitters. We're, uh, we're going to have to find something that's a little bit shorter to cook today because we'll do it after he comes home from school and I think the weekend's going to be the, you know, let's set something going for 10 hours or something like that. If you have suggestions, recipes, whatever, please send those through. Uh, a number of people said there's this really epic barbecue book from apparently there's like 24 living pit masters or something like that. One guy's written one of those, uh, ordered on Amazon yesterday, going to be here today, so I think that's going to be a good list to work through. There is uh, an unofficial home assistant integration for it. Someone has a GitHub repository that seems to have uh, tied into it, so obviously that's going to come down <laughs> today. One more IP address is going to go into the Ubiquity network today, uh, and that will be good. I think that'll be really good fun. All right, what's in the comments just here? Uh, Joel says, I hope you probe the hell out of the grill's Wi-Fi smart control. I'm going to do that in my spare time, Joel. Scott says, he, being now probably just wrapped up his NDC talk selection. I, I, in fact, Charlotte did point out this morning that it looks like uh, people are doing all the NDC um, agenda committee stuff at the moment. Uh, incidentally, Niall, if, if you know the dates for NDC Sydney and Melbourne, can you please let me know? Because Jacob hasn't replied to my email <laughs> asking about it, and I want to make sure I put that time aside. Scott's hoping he's not forgotten in the agendas. Um, no one's really sure who Scott is in joke. Ali says, Unified Dream Machine is a small baby can handle the doorbells. Now, yes, but it's not the normal Dream Machine. There is a Unified 
Dream Machine with Protect. I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's not like the SE, something else. Um, Unify Protect. Which one is it? Another one you mean? It's because I have set up a normal Dream Machine for for a mate of mine. It was the one that did not come with the um, with Protect. It is a fairly chunky unit to buy at a Dream. Actually, it's this one here because it's got the it's got the little digital display on the front. Is it the one they call the Dream Router? It does unif Wi-Fi six. I know the one you mean. It it, it again like it's it's a fairly serious unit. I, I think there is an argument to be made for a protect instance that can just run on a small device. Um, you know, so let's say a small device that takes a, a single hard disk or something like that. Incidentally, both these friends I have set up in the Ubiquiti ecosystem. So my friends over here, uh, who Scott and I know very well now, <laughs> the older couple, they run... Um, they run Amplify, so I set them up on Amplify, or oh, probably five years ago or something like that. Friends over here, they run uh, Amplify Alien, which looks super, super cool. So they're in the Ubiquiti ecosystem already. I don't really want to go and have to get them a Dream Router, is the right word, the Ubiquiti Dream Router, which would then replicate a whole bunch of stuff they've already got just in order to get them Protect. So there's that. Um, Brennan saying Ring Doorbell. Uh, or you're asking and then saying yes. Based on research, I think this is the best thing for that audience. Research to date. Thomas says, hook the barbecue up to Home Assistant and do some crazy automations. Yep, well, that's... I probably said that after you messaged that. Um, Stephen says, your Wi-Fi network must be nice and big. Well, keep in mind, it's um, it's daylight at the moment, which means that... The power to a lot of the connected lights has been turned off and we're not actually seeing all the IP addresses. Let's have a look. What's what's my network telling me? Normally when everything's powered up, I have over 200 IP addresses, which, which does mean I'm going to need to expand that subnet <laughs> if I keep going at this rate too. I think I'm just like slipping in uh, to the 250-odd IPs that I can have within that single subnet at the moment. Uh, but yes, there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, what else is on here? Yeah, it's got saying UDM, UDM. So UDM Pro is rack mounted. UDM Pro SE is rack mounted. It is UDM, but it's, it's the router one. Now, speaking of Ubiquity, for some reason, I noticed this the other day, when I load, I don't know if anyone else, Scott, etc., get this, but occasionally I load my, I go to unify.ui.com, I go to Dream Machine, I go to the Unify network, and it just sits there and doesn't load, and it needs a reboot, and then it seems to come good. Seems to have done that, so I can't give you an IP address count at the moment. Uh, yep, Ali. Yep, I think we've... Incidentally, you see this about 20 seconds after I say it, which is why sometimes we sort of cross wires a little bit. Um, ben says, I can do remote monitoring on mine, but it needs a device near enough to go from Bluetooth to Wi-Fi like a bridge. Yep. Wayne says, run on Pi. Ali says, it takes a micro SD, which should be the... Dream Machine router one. Uh, Scott can't pronounce router. This <laughs> is one of those things. Brennan wants a good VDSL modem from Ubiquity. Cook says cloud key. As far as I know, cloud key can't run protect, can it? I can speak to my Ubiquity guy. 
Alice says, ring doorbell requires a subscription to be useful. On that alone, the Eufy stuff is still better. Yeah, but Google Eufy and see where they sit in the news at the moment. Um, Eufy, a lot of people not happy with Eufy at the moment. I don't mind telling people they need a subscription if it's a few bucks a month. Uh, I, I think that is reasonable for the service. Scott's asking why load the cloud portal to access the local interface, uh, usually because it lets me see the other instances that I manage as well, but I can just go to 192.168.1.1 and we'll see if it loads, so long as it doesn't auto-complete to my Octoprint instance. And right now Scott's going, you should have host name and a certificate and everything again. Oh, I've got to authenticate to that. Yes, I can can run locally, but I, I do. The issue is not accessing the Dream Machine. The issue is that the Dream Machine is up and it's running, but then it seems that Unify itself uh, is not responsive. And I'll, I will check it locally, but I don't think that's going to work given that I can actually access the machine remotely. Niall says the Cloud Key Gen 2 can can run protect okay well i do actually have one of those sitting on the shelf <clears throat> it's in amongst the multitude of things they have sent but i haven't actually used uh yeah okay lots of i'm going to go and look at that because <clears throat> that may actually be a fix but then they've still got to go and buy a ubiquity doorbell anyway interesting mark says a router <laughs> it's definitely a different thing in australia <laughs> On that happy note, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to go and talk to another organization about data reaches. We might see that in the news later on today. Uh, thanks for watching. I'm going to come back and do this later in the day next week. Uh, between now and then, I'm going to send lots of nice photos of our hottest day so far this year and wakeboards. And I think I have to go in the pool for a little bit today before we do the barbecue. Life is tough. Thanks, folks. Catch you later.